0: Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery.
1: Today, we're discovering the tiniest things in the universe. Ooh, like baby turtles? (laughs) No. We're peering at the particles inside of an atom, the building blocks of everything in the universe. But here's the thing, we can't actually see them. If you
0: can't see them, how do you know they're even there?
1: That's what we're going to find out. Today's question comes from Xander.
0: Atoms are made out of protons, neutrons, and electrons, but what are they made out of? You know, the other day I made a couple of atoms just with some boards and some nails. (laughs) Simple! (laughs) They're made of boards and nails.
1: I didn't really look at that project and think, that's an atom.
0: You gotta make sure your tinfoil hat is on right.
1: (laughs) Well, let's ask our listeners, do you think that there's anything smaller than protons, neutrons, and electrons? Whether you know the answer or not, how do you think scientists could find out? Take a moment to think because we'll be back with an expert to share the story behind our atomic discoveries. Atish Bhatia is a physicist and science writer, and when he was Xander's age, Atish also tried to wrap his head around the very small things he was learning about.
2: I remember being taught about the idea that the world is made out of atoms, and I was also taught about things like our bodies are made out of cells, and in our cells are things like DNA. And the thing that I remember finding really puzzling is, why can't I see any of this?
1: Hoping to see his own cells, Atish examined his skin up close.
2: I literally remember once, like, looking at the skin on my arm and thinking, like, can I see my cells?
0: I'd be surprised if anyone had powerful enough vision to see their own cells without the aid of a
2: microscope.
1: It's true. Atish doesn't have superhero cell vision. And so he wondered...
2: How do we know that these things are real and that they exist if we can't see them with our own eyes, right? That's
0: a good point, because, you know, we usually want to see the things we believe in.
1: So getting back to atoms, for a long, long time, people have thought there must be some kind of smallest possible piece of something that makes up everything in the world. But this was actually a very controversial idea for thousands of years.
2: And the thing is, like, if you have an idea, you can kind of try to explain it to other people, But to really convince them, you need to show them some evidence, right? You need to be able to see in some way an atom or at least see its effects.
0: Okay. So I can't just be like, all matter is made of like tiny little fairies that are zooming around and granting wishes if you can catch them. (laughs) I have to show you the pictures of the baby fairies. Am I coming off as crazy? (laughs) I'm not crazy. I'm just saying all matter is made of fairies. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you're going to have to have some stronger proof for that idea. So before we find out if there's anything inside of protons, neutrons, and electrons, we're going to have to find out how scientists find the evidence to prove that atoms do exist.
2: Uh, And this evidence goes back to the 1800s, in particular the year 1827, um, where there was an English botanist by the name of Robert Brown.
1: The experiment that helped crack the code of atoms wasn't meant to study atoms at all.
0: Wait, so he said he's a botanist. And isn't botany the study of plants?
1: It is. So this guy, Robert Brown, got the idea to sprinkle some pollen from the flowers he was studying into a little dish of water. And he took a look under his microscope.
2: Um, And I'm not sure why he did this, uh, but he did this. And what he noticed was something really surprising, which is... The little, tiny particles of pollen, when they're in water, they kind of seem to move.
1: To Brown's eye, peering through the microscope at this tiny, hidden world, the pollen seemed to be dancing.
2: Sometimes they spin, like they rotate in place. Sometimes they twirl like they're along their long side. So it was kind of like this dancing motion of tiny pollen grains.
0: It sounds like the pollen really has some serious moves, but was it just because the water was swirling around?
1: Brown asked himself that. He did a few experiments and the water seemed to be as still as water could be. He was stuck. So Brown wrote down everything that he had observed and published it. Other scientists read what he wrote and the movement of the pollen grains became known as Brownian motion.
0: We got a whole motion named after him. The only other person I can think of like that is Mr. Electric Slide. (laughs) But does Brownian motion even prove atoms exist? Or does it just prove that, like, pollen has a good tempo?
1: (laughs) Well, stick with me here, because this is a two- or kind of three-part experiment that involves a bunch of now-famous scientists. Eighty years after the Brownian motion mystery was first presented... Albert Einstein tried his hand at it.
2: So what Einstein did was to try to understand why are these tiny pieces of um, pollen moving around in water?
1: Instead of thinking how the motion might come from the pollen, Einstein thought it might come from the water.
2: And so Einstein was able to realize that the reason the pieces of pollen were bouncing around had to do with the fact that what we're looking at is actual collisions between water molecules and these pieces of pollen.
0: Wait, the water molecules and pollen grains were colliding? And, and that's what's
1: causing the Brownian motion dance? Exactly, yes. The movement of the pollen grains is an effect of the molecules colliding, and molecules are large groups of atoms.
0: Okay, so a tiny piece of the puzzle coming together.
1: Einstein was able to calculate and predict how these particles would move and collide. And then other physicists came along and built on his equations to measure the size of atoms and molecules themselves. And that's how we humans figured out how big is the tiniest building block of the universe.
0: Oh, Wow. So Brown's observation and Einstein's explanation helped us measure something that
2: we couldn't see. And I think that gets to the heart of Sanders' question, which is, how do we know what an atom is made out of, right? We can't see inside an atom. We need to come up with ways of indirect explanations.
0: So what Atish is saying is basically we can't pin down an atom, crack it open, and just take photos of what's inside.
1: Right. Instead, we have these indirect explanations, meaning...
2: We can't see certain things in the world directly, but we can see their effects.
0: So is that how we know about protons, neutrons, and electrons, too?
1: Yes. And each of these particles has its own discovery story, which aren't impossible to explain, but also kind of complicated to explain right now. (laughs) I can
0: see that. (laughs) My brain is nearly full, as is. (laughs) All right, so fast forward, we know about protons, neutrons, and electrons, so how do we figure out what's inside of them?
1: Smashing.
0: By smashing?
1: Smashing.
0: Smash two things together, and see what happens. Is he talking about like Lego train crash videos?
1: No, Atish is talking about a particle accelerator, or also called a particle collider. And these are massive scientific instruments that physicists have built to crack open those atoms.
2: I, I think there is a kind of glee there that you're, you're building the most sophisticated piece of technology that humans have built, at least in one place. And its goal is to smash things together.
0: Okay, so I'm pretty familiar with the concept of smashing things together. I've done it myself maybe a few times. But how does a particle accelerator actually work?
2: So there's a very famous one uh, in Switzerland. It's called the Large Hadron Collider. It's this huge tunnel that's like, you know, kilometers long. It's, It's buried under the surface. And it spins these particles around, atoms around, and smashes them together.
1: Inside the tunnel is a very thin beam of particles. And the tunnel is so long because these particles need a lot of runway to get going really, really fast.
2: Like, how fast? Like, Roadrunner fast? 99.999% the speed of light. Like, really, really, really fast.
0: So it's just that, like, two things hit each other at super high speeds, and then the physicists run out to see what's left on the floor. (laughs) Kind of like an atomic piñata where they're all like, I got the particles! I got the particles!
1: (laughs) Not exactly.
2: (laughs) If you take two atoms and you smash them together, sometimes what happens is the pieces that are inside one box can jump to the other box. And vice versa.
1: So to use your piñata analogy, it's like if you smash two piñatas together and the candy from one piñata magically went into the other piñata, and then you weighed them to see if they're any different from how they started out.
2: And what we notice is, hey, this one got heavier and that one got lighter. Kind of, um, there's been something that's exchanged between them. And this is an indirect measurement. It's a clue as to what was inside.
0: Okay, so it's like by weighing each piñata, you know that they secretly exchanged Tootsie rolls for candy necklaces. Even though these are the kinds of piñatas that are so well constructed, no matter how hard you hit it, it will never break.
1: So piñatas aside, physicists came up with the idea or theory of what might be inside these party protons and neutrons before they observed them. And one of these theories was for something called a quark.
2: A quark? Physicists have this uh, tradition of giving whimsical names to, you know, pretty deep and complicated things.
1: A quark is the name for a whole set of particles inside protons and neutrons. Quarks are among the things responsible for electrical charges that make protons and neutrons different from each other.
2: We know a proton is positive charge and a neutron has zero charge, so there must be something different about the quarks. And now we know
0: what that is. I remember now that the electrical charge is what makes protons and neutrons different from each other. So it would make sense that there's something inside them and they didn't just decide who would be what in a game of rock, paper, scissors.
1: Exactly. And the other thing physicists found inside protons and neutrons is called gluons.
2: The gluons are like the glue that holds quarks together and keeps them in a proton or in a neutron.
0: Also, gluons are like the particles that say, we got to stick together, guys.
1: I wonder where they got
0: the name (laughs) glue-on.
1: Some genius brainstorming there. Because of gluons, you cannot pull quarks apart from each other. They can only exist in these tight little packages bound by gluons.
0: Okay, so we've got quarks and gluons that are in protons and neutrons. (laughs) This is becoming like a limerick. But what's in an electron?
1: As far as we know, nothing.
2: Wait, what? Every time we've tried to look inside an electron, we've not found any example of it having any pieces inside it. So toward the best of our understanding today, an electron is what we call a fundamental particle.
0: It's a fundamental particle?
1: Yes, that means that scientists haven't managed to break apart an electron, and so they're like, that must be it. Fundamental particles are the smallest things that we can find and prove exist.
0: Well, but can we build like an even bigger and better particle accelerator to smash those things apart?
1: That's an excellent question.
2: What makes this so interesting is that we just don't know, really, right? So it could be that... The world is made out of certain fundamental particles, and these these are really fundamental. These are the building blocks of our world.
1: Right now, the list of fundamental particles includes electrons, quarks, and gluons. But maybe that list could change.
2: It is always possible that even though when you build a bigger machine or when you, when you find a more clever way of investigating or when you come up with a more um, insightful theory, that you'll find out that the things that you thought were fundamental weren't. Well,
0: I'll be looking forward to more Smashing Things Together.
1: And more atomic discovery.
0: Want to practice your skills as a physicist? Try coming up with a whimsical name for a brand new fundamental particle. Mine is the Quirganon.
1: <laughs> I'd like to name mine Giraffaloo. <laughs> so once you've come up with your fun-sounding fundamental particle, no coincidence there,
0: <laughs> yuck, yuck,
1: come up with your theory about why it might exist. Thanks to Atish Bhatia, science writer, physicist, and educator.
0: And special thanks to Xander for sending us such a great question.
1: You can learn more about how particle colliders work in our interview with Atish, available for patrons who pledge at the $1 level or higher on patreon.com slash tumblepodcast.
0: We'll also have more free resources to learn about the atom and what's inside it on the blog post on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com.
1: Sarah Robertson-Lentz is our head of partnerships, and she designed the episode art. I'm Lindy Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show.
0: I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all the music you're hearing. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for more stories of science discovery.